0: Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. We're talking agriculture today. The Biden administration takes action to break up the monopolies, in the domestic meat and poultry industries, though some critics say that won't be enough. A federal court in Iowa has struck down a so-called ag-gag law that would criminalize whistleblowing activity by agricultural activists. And how much farmland in the United States is owned by foreign corporations from places like China and Russia? No one actually knows. We're doing agricultural stories today because that's the internet rabbit hole that I fell into this week, but also because there's a war in Ukraine that is about to make domestic food production an extremely relevant topic for average Americans. Don't worry, we have a fun palate cleanser story at the end though, so stay tuned. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first... Recent executive action by the Biden administration aims to make the meat and poultry industry less monopolistic and more resilient in terms of the supply chain. Some background on why this is a thing in the first place. Currently, four meatpacking companies control 85% of the domestic beef market. The top four poultry processing firms control 54%. The top four pork processing companies own 70% of that market. Why is this important? Because farmers are presented with little choice when attempting to sell their livestock products, which results in stagnated competition and, of course, lower prices for these sellers. The White House published a fact sheet on this issue recently where it states that 50 years ago, rangers got $0.60 cents for every dollar spent on beef in this country, whereas now they only get $0.39. Cents. That portion has been absorbed by the mega-conglomerates as additional profit. Nonetheless, American consumers are paying more and more, as the price of food is a large component in the current inflation that is hurting American buyers. This unhealthy concentration makes supply chains fickle and vulnerable, as these companies create massive chokeholds on supply, a lesson learned during COVID when the price of pork soared, mostly because meatpacking plants had severe COVID outbreaks among their workers." In response, the USDA is enacting certain stimulus activities to try and stir competition and strengthen the domestic supply chain. For example, the USDA is providing $375 million in grants for independent processing plants, deploying $275 million in guaranteed loans for independent farmers and processors, and making $1 billion total in guaranteed loans available. The administration is also taking steps training workers and cutting inspection costs, and is changing the regulations around labeling of certain foods as a, quote, product of the USA, and the DOJ states that it intends to strengthen its antitrust policy with respect to domestic producers. Biden, when announcing this new plan, said, quote, capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. It's exploitation. That's what we're seeing in the meat and poultry industries now, unquote. Okay, sounds good. However, investigative journalist Dave Dickey from Investigate Midwest wrote this week that these measures are not enough. He writes, quote, Biden acknowledges that big meat has for years put its collective thumb on the meat scale to cheat ranchers, farmers, and yes, all of us at our local grocery store meat counter. And the president believes it's high time to do something about it. Dickey goes on, but like presidents that have gone before, most recently Barack Obama, Biden's plan as introduced in January falls way, 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 way short because Biden's plan at the moment would not break up big meat, unquote. The piece goes on to discuss the prices as they impact the American consumer. The U.S. Labor Department reports from November of 2020 to 21, which is year-on-year, chicken prices are up 9.2%, pork up 16.8%, bacon 21%, and beef a whopping 20.9%. All of that adds up to an overall meat increase of 16% so far, far outstripping a consumer price Increase of 7%. Dickey argues that the meat industry is using the issue of inflation to cover up what is really happening deliberate profit increases due to a stranglehold on supply. In his opinion, the real problem is that these massive agricultural companies are able to unilaterally dictate prices to the ranchers and farmers, which is why the ranchers and farmers are getting less and less share of the profit, despite prices going up and up for consumers. Other suggestions include rewriting the Packers and Stockyards Act, a 101-year-old law that is meant to regulate fair competition and fair trade prices, protect ranchers and farmers from unfair, deceptive business practices. President Obama said he would do this and failed to do so, obviously. President Biden mentioned it on the campaign trail, but so far there's been no drafts of the updated statute published. Attacking big meat will cause a lot of political pain for whomever does it, much like big oil. And the amount of money spent on campaign contributions and lobbying is genuinely sickening to look at. And we have a couple of examples of that later in the show. Nonetheless, it's a project worth pursuing, one that American consumers would benefit from significantly. Up next, while we're on the subject of big agriculture, the state of Iowa has been trying over and over to criminalize surveillance inside agricultural facilities, passing four separate laws that make it a criminal offense to film the inside of farms, stockyards, and other agricultural centers. Remember how I just mentioned the influence of big meats lobbying efforts. Anyways, these laws are specifically targeting certain activism that has been common in recent years. Generally, an activist gets a job at an agriculture facility with the intent of writing, documenting, or speaking out against what they see while on the job. My understanding is that these laws seek to pile additional criminal charges on top of traditional trespass statutes, treating it like an industrial espionage or even domestic terrorist activity. It would severely criminalize things like lying on your job application to gain employment, filming inside of facilities, etc. However, a U.S. district court in Iowa ruled that these laws are unconstitutional, and this is from the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. Quote, Iowa seeks to protect private property rights by singling out for punishment, at least in part, trespassers based on their disfavored viewpoint of agriculture, U.S. District Judge Stephanie Rose said in her ruling Monday adding that it's precisely this intent that other courts have found to be unconstitutional. The state of Iowa may not single out individuals for special punishment based on their critical viewpoint of agricultural practices, Rose ruled. It is the proper province of the legislature to determine whether specific facilities, such as agricultural facilities, nuclear power plants, military bases, or other sensitive buildings, are entitled to special legal protections. However, the First Amendment does not allow those protections to be based on the violator's viewpoint, unquote. Iowa has passed four similar laws to the one I described, but they keep getting stricken down for similar reasons. Viewpoint discrimination. Put another way, the laws are explicitly being enacted to discourage discourse about the agricultural industry and are explicitly not being enacted for the safety and security of that industry, despite the fig leaf language from legislators to the contrary. Quoting the dispatch, quote, The plaintiffs in the case argued the law discriminated based on viewpoint because it singles out on a specific industry for favoritism and seeks to silence critics of that industry. The state argued otherwise and said that while some legislators have talked of the need to silence animal rights activists and critics of meatpacking plants, others spoke of the larger need to protect private property and biosecurity. District Court Judge Rose rejected the state's argument, noting that, crucially, the stated purpose of the law, private property rights and biosecurity – would also be implicated for deceptive trespassers without the intent to harm the facility. Defendants offer no explanation why the strict biosecurity protocols discussed by some of the legislators are not at risk by a benign or benevolent deceptive trespasser. So basically what the judge is saying there is that the laws specifically single out trespassers who would get onto the property with the intent to expose whatever was happening there, but does not attack a trespasser who was just merely trespassing. That is the definition of viewpoint discrimination. Judge Rose ruled that because the law criminalizes deception to gain access to the agricultural facilities and only for the purposes of causing physical harm or economic harm, it establishes different standards for animal rights activists and others who may use deception to gain access to facilities for other reasons. So the unconstitutional nature of the law is that it targets individuals who would gain access to agricultural facilities with the explicit intent to publish or disparage the activities happening within. The law threatens increased penalties for recording even in public places and locations advocates have long used for public advocacy, such as open areas of legislators' offices and parts of businesses in which other members of the public regularly come and go. Think, for example, a waiting room or reception area. These laws, which are often called ag-gag laws, are commonplace across the U.S. and arose as whistleblowing activities increased for the treatment of animals and the ways in which our domestic food supply is sourced. They also apply in places like puppy mills and things like that as well. Currently, the Iowa law has been struck down. Various other ones are in effect nationwide, but it's a good example of what a little campaign contribution and lobbying money can get you in the state legislators. For our next agricultural story, foreign companies are buying up acres and acres of American farmlands. This is also from Investigate Midwest. Apparently, there's no reliable federal or state database that easily shows the ownership of American farmland, specifically whether the farmland is owned by overseas corporations or foreign holders. And before I go further, I do want to be clear. The thrust of the story isn't antagonism towards foreigners or immigrants or minorities owning American farms. That's all fine and good. The issue is whether Chinese or Russian or Saudi or any number of America's geopolitical rivals whose governments often act through their private companies having a foothold in controlling domestic American food production and whether that presents a national security threat, especially as conflict with those countries heat up, just so everyone knows. So going back to Investigate Midwest... Quote, we should know based on whether it's a national security issue, a food security issue, who's going to be the next generation of farmers and feed our neighbors, said farmer and former Missouri Democrat Lieutenant Governor Joe Maxwell. We should know who's buying up America's farmland and for what purpose they're doing it, unquote. Quoting more from the story, despite a federal law requiring foreign transactions of agricultural land be reported and recorded to the federal government, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's database appears to be missing significant acres of land. Records of who owns what don't match. Reconciling federal, state, and county records of land ownership is all but impossible. It is unclear whether the discrepancies originate from the companies reporting the forms that the USDA records or how these records are being maintained at the state level. If we don't have accurate information on who holds the title or who holds the deed, then we're no longer even upholding the basic system of property rights in the United States, said Laura Ashwood professor at the University of Kentucky who studies agricultural policy and rural trends, unquote. The story has a lot of great interactive graphics and maps. I encourage everyone to check it out. One in particular shows the amount of foreign land owned by percentage per state. Here's some highlights. In Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Michigan, and the entire South below North Carolina, foreign holdings make up greater than 2% of all farmland. So the issue is that records of these property acquisitions are kept via a hodgepodge of state agencies, federal agencies, many states, their records don't even match the federal records that are supposed to be submitted. Put another way, there's no easy way for regulators to quickly understand how much farmland, which can also include access to natural resources, water, et cetera, is being bought up by foreign entities that may in the near future, frankly, have some geopolitical conflict with the United States. So you could see how this would become a problem in the near future, especially as conflicts ramp up with places like Russia and perhaps China down the line. There's a great book on this called The Scientist and the Spy, A True Story of China, the FBI and Industrial Espionage, by the way, by author Mara Hisfendahl. I do recommend it. It's it's a great read. I think it's important that U.S. regulators be able to understand who owns what in terms of our natural resources, and I think that most people would agree. All right, and we'll close out with a fun one. This isn't agriculture-related, by the way. A professor at Chapman University is suing his students for copyright infringement based on these students having posted copies of his exams online on a popular exam-sharing website. This is from the Oklahoma City Register and the New York Times. Professor David Berkovitz of the Chapman University School of Business and Economics alleges one of his students identified as John Doe in the lawsuit because he does not know yet who the student is Engaged in copyright infringement by posting two exams on Course Hero, a website where answers to two of his tests were uploaded for the students to see. Lawyers for Berkovitz say that the tests contained a warning, stating that the exams were not to be produced and were, in fact, copyright protected. They say they plan to subpoena the website to figure out who the students are. Attorney Mark Hankin, who represents Berkovitz, said on Tuesday that he intends to subpoena Course Hero to obtain records identifying who's responsible for posting the midterm and final exams on the company's website. Berkowitz gave the test to students in his Business 215 class during Chapman's 2021 spring semester. The tests were uploaded to Course Hero in an apparent attempt to solicit answers to several essay questions. Quote, it seems to be cheating and an ethical violation of Chapman's honor code, he added. If there is some ethical impropriety going on. We want to stop that because it changes the grading curve, unquote. Chapman professors own the copyright to their work and are free to pursue the removal of content from such sites as Course Hero, said university spokeswoman Cerise Metzger, who added that the school is not involved in the lawsuit. She did not address whether the students' actions could constitute an honor code violation. That's the show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Sorry to spend so much time on agriculture. But as the situation in Ukraine has been developing, I've just been thinking about the downstream effects of how the 30 or 40% or whatever it is of agriculture that comes out of that region of the world is going to be affected, especially as it comes to American consumers and American families who have to put food on the table. So that's why we ended up doing this episode. You know the drill, everyone. New episodes every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. If you ask a question, we will try to answer it. Otherwise, thanks everyone for listening and I'll talk to you next week.